This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. 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 Welcome, 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 welcome to the Bubble Hour. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Weakness head on me. Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. Hello, and welcome to The Bubble Hour Archives, a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined The Bubble Hour as a host in season two. Together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine, we all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at thebubblehour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB, or Booze Free Brigade, often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it even easier for you to find that. So, all right then, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Ellie, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. And tonight, we have a powerful show. We have six women that will be sharing their stories that are new to sobriety or have had more than one day one recently, but who are still out there swinging, talking to people, telling their truth, becoming part of community. And they do this to help heal themselves and offer also to offer, offer hope to other people who may be out there listening and wondering about their drinking. We believe here that a major issue that keeps people stuck in the cycle of addiction, even when they know they have a problem or maybe a niggling doubt that their drinking is getting worse, is shame. And we believe strongly in the power of story and truth as the antidote to shame. We're certainly not trying to give anybody answers or any how-tos. This is really just women sharing their stories to demonstrate that really the only thing you can do wrong is not to try at all, to not reach out for help or not love yourself enough to face your drinking head on. And we will provide some resources at the end of this show where you can find community and where you can go safely to, and to talk truthfully about your drinking without any judgment and with lots of understanding, regardless of where you are in your own process. And if you're still drinking, if you're wondering if you have a problem, if you just want to find a community of women who are on this path already and are happy to share their own experience experience and strength and hope with you and to help you and to help each other. And we also find that people share their stories, even though the facts may be different, that the feelings really are so similar and that the 
the power of story is the great equalizer. It helps people identify instead of compare because my story might be different from mine, from yours, but when you hear me tell about how my addiction and my recovery make me feel, the feelings are so similar, it's very, very hard not to identify, and that's really what we're trying to achieve here at the, at the Bubble Hour. I thought I would briefly talk about how story and truth and community factored into my early recovery. I was somebody who really had had a fairly low bottom. I was very resistant to getting help for a long time, and I didn't have the courage that the women that you'll hear speaking tonight display. I didn't Google anything about drinking or women or alcoholism. I just really didn't want to face it at all. And so I, I had an intervention and went to rehab. And when I came out of rehab, I took the suggestion of going to a recovery meeting. And I did. And a woman stood up at that recovery meeting and told what essentially was my story. And it was coming from the mouth of somebody I had never met before. And that was a really, really powerful turning point for me. I realized that I wasn't the only one who felt the way that I felt or had done some of the things that I had done. And I started to feel a part of something instead of feeling very isolated and alone and morally corrupt and weak and began to understand that it's a disease and it's a disease that keeps you stuck and full of shame. And by sharing your truths and meeting other people who totally understand how you feel is really the first step to overcoming the shame and doubt and fear that many of us feel in early recovery. So that's really also the mission of the Bubble Hour. This is, you know, not an answers or an advice column kind of show. This is a story kind of show. So we know that you'll be moved by the stories that you hear tonight. And so I guess, Lisa, we'll start with you. Okay, thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I my story is very different from Ellie's. She didn't go the online. You know, she didn't look up, reach out to the online community. But what worked for me early on was people who know my story know that I was a very high functioning alcoholic for years. I knew I had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, and I was painfully aware of that fact. And I knew that I didn't drink like most of the people in my life. And so many of my family and friends could simply just take it or leave it. And I secretly wondered for many years how they were able to do this. And I also remember so many of my friends and family were able to casually just sit on a glass of wine for an entire evening. And that always just amazed me. I remember asking myself, why? What's the point in just a few sips? Because to me, that was just, I, I couldn't understand that at all. And around two years ago, I reached my personal rock bottom, which is very different from Ellie's. I, it was a very high bottom. I was a working mom who I just overcompensated daily just for the amount of wine I was drinking the night before, really and truly to prove to myself and anybody else paying attention to me that I wasn't that bad. I didn't look like an alcoholic. I was responsible. I was a productive member of society. I was a mom and a wife with a career and a college education. And most of all, I was absolutely scared to death. I think I was more scared of people finding out about my addiction to alcohol than I was of anything else. For years, I went just to great lengths to hide it and to cover it up. And when I finally quit, I didn't even know for certain, honestly, that I was truly an alcoholic. Of course, now I know that denial is a powerful thing. You know, I was just truly in denial. It took having some sober time and sober days and weeks to finally see that I did have a problem. Thankfully, during that time, before I realized I had a problem, I had enough clarity just for a moment to recognize 
that I had to stop before something really bad happened. I was very close to something bad happening. My not yet had just not quite come. Unlike Ellie, I, I didn't have an intervention. In fact, it's a, you know, there's, there's such a stigma, as we've talked about so many times before. Nobody in my family really talked about it. I have a family history of alcoholism, but it's always been brushed under the rug, and it's just not acknowledged. And so I guess my decision to quit without anyone knowing was just basically related to my past and how everything is hidden in my family. And instead, I hid behind the safety of my laptop. I would secretly Google info, anything that I could find about moms who might be having some of the same problems as me. I read all, I read freely and truly everything that I found, I found from Google. It was just Really and truly, it was the only option that I felt that I had, and it was the only way that I could find similarities to my situation that that related to me. And it did. It worked. I was able to find several things about moms who drank too much, and I would read all of that, and then I would erase the history on my computer so that nobody in my family... mm -hmm. I mean, it was just as quick as I could so that nobody in my family would discover what I felt was my very shameful secret. I was just so ashamed that I was weak enough to have this problem. That's what, how I saw it at the time. It was, one, it was during one of my marathon Google sessions in the middle of the night that I discovered Don't Get Drunk Fridays, and I was shocked. Just, I think I was shocked to the point of tears, and I was also comforted to find other moms and women, and even some men, some stories that I could really identify with, and around that same time, I discovered Ellie's blog, and again, I was shocked to be finding even more women like me. My story was their story. They were good people. They were scared people, just like myself. And for a long time, I was too afraid to post um, on the EDS in fear that I'd be judged, even though the people there were just like me, which looking back on it, I, I don't know why I was so afraid, because if they were there, they obviously had the same problem I had. But finally, I let my guard down and a, a little bit at the time, and soon I was able to go there and have a safe place to talk about my own drinking uh, in the process without judgment. And there was so much empathy and compassion because these people were me. And it was just such a, it was a freedom. And, you know, it took that for me to actually go into my community and have the strength to meet other people in recovery through meetings. And that it took a long time for me to get there. And that was definitely not my first, my first resort. I will say that nothing is better than face-to-face interaction with other alcoholics. I think it's so important. But I will say that without the BSB now, I know that I would not be where I am today. And where I am today is a wonderful place. And I, I say this all the time, that if I can do this, anybody can do this. And I really believe that with all of my heart because I just believe in surrender and letting it go. And there's a lot of freedom in accepting that I can't drink. There's no more mind games, moderating, none of that that drove me crazy for so long. So it's, it's very free, and there is hope. And the main thing I want to say to anyone listening is you're not alone. Reach out and let yourself be heard. Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? 
Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles, little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building. My name's Jen, and I'm 38 years old. I'm married. I have two great kids, a three-year-old daughter and a four-month-old son. I work full-time, so my life is pretty busy and scheduled, but in the free time I can carve out. I like to read, write, do yoga, get outside as much as I can, and cook. I like most of those things, too. This is Ellie. (laughs) So I've actually written up something about my history with alcohol that I'm going to read, and also some of the attempts at recovery I've I've had. And so I will launch into it. Okay. Thank you. So in my teens and 20s, I definitely drank more than most people did, but I would classify myself at that time as a social drinker, meaning I didn't drink by myself. The first time I realized I might have a drinking problem was when I was 30 years old. I'd recently gotten married. I was making dinner for my husband at the time while I watched TV. And in the course of cooking this meal, I drank an entire bottle of wine. And I remember pouring the last of it into my glass and just thinking, wow, that's that's weird. I drank the whole bottle um, just cooking dinner. And I'm sure I went on to drink more that night. I can't remember. But that was my first kind of aha moment that I might have a a problem. And not long after that night, drinking a bottle of wine became a nightly habit. And when I think about why, I think I'm a pretty high-strung person. I'd classify myself as a type A person. And I loved how I'd just be go, go, go all day and I could have wine and it would just help me turn off my brain and finally sink into a chair and relax. So I'd just come home from work, open up a bottle and sip on it all evening long. And at first that seemed like a harmless routine, but very quickly it became a scary habit. I found myself constantly plotting how to get that nightly bottle into the house. My husband likes to drink, but he isn't an alcoholic. He can take it or leave it on most nights, and when he drinks at home, he usually just has a beer or two. But I had to have that entire bottle to myself. So I started stopping at his different store every night on the way home from work. Sorry, from horse, I've been sick. Sometimes it would be a gas station, other times a grocery store. And then sometimes I found myself drinking the bottle and still wanting more, so I made sure I had a backup bottle around. And in the later years, I started going to Trader Joe's on my lunch hour once a week and buying a case of wine that I'd keep stashed in my trunk so I'd never have that problem of running out. And the empties were another problem. would only take out a recycling once or twice a week, and four or five or six wine bottles looks like a lot in a small recycling bin. So I... started hiding some of the bottles in my closet, and then I would throw them away in a public trash can on the way to work. My husband knew I was drinking too much, but I put a lot of energy into hiding just how much from him. So this went on night after night after night for years, and the only breaks I took were during my pregnancies, and I hated being pregnant because I couldn't drink. I'd drink when I was happy, when I was sad, when I was sick, or when I was hungover. It didn't matter. There were no nights off. And bad things started to happen. One night, I drove drunk to the store to buy more wine. On the way home, I swerved and crashed into a curb, and my airbags went off. I left the car and ran a mile home and spent a sick, panicky night worrying about what I had done and wondering if the police were about to come arrest me. The next day, my husband went to look for my car, but it was gone. 
I called the police to ask about it, and they told me it was being held for hit and run. And for a horrible moment, I thought I might have hit a person. It turns out I hit another car, but I was too blacked out to know it, a parked car. And the funny thing was, nothing happened to me. No charges were pressed. My insurance company settled with the owner of the other car. My car was totaled, and I actually ended up making a profit. There were no consequences to pay, so I kept drinking. But I was getting more and more scared about my drinking because I knew it was totally out of control and I couldn't stop. I thought about it all the time. Every night I'd sit on my back porch and drink wine and smoke cigarettes and worry and feel trapped. I couldn't believe this was happening to me. I felt stuck and I had no idea how to get out. After the car incident, I checked myself into an outpatient treatment program, but I only lasted one night before checking back out. Everyone else in the program was there by court order and many had been using hard drugs and I felt like I couldn't relate. But honestly, I also think I wasn't ready to quit. I also tried seeing an addiction counselor, but only went once and bought a bottle of wine on the way home. I tried going to a few recovery meetings over the years, too, but again, I just wasn't ready to make the commitment to stop. After I became a mom, my anxiety started to skyrocket. I walked around all the time feeling bad about myself and like a big phony because I was living one way during the day and another way at night. I didn't tell anyone about how bad my drinking had gotten, and I felt totally isolated and out of touch with the world and with myself. I began having symptoms of social anxiety, which made me drink even more, which made me more anxious. It was a vicious cycle I didn't know how to break. This past December, I learned about a group called the Boost Free Brigade. I tapped into an online community of women just like me, women who had struggles with alcohol, many of whom has successfully quit drinking. I instantly felt less alone and really inspired by many of the stories I read. I was able to quit drinking for nearly two weeks, more time than I'd ever been able to before. It was really hard getting past the cravings, but I felt better right away. My anxiety lessened, I slept better, and I just generally felt healthier. But I think on some level I knew I wasn't totally done with drinking. It was like I was just sticking a toe in the waters of recovery knowing I could still float back. The whole time I was sober, I had a bottle of white wine sitting in my fridge tempting me. And eventually one day I drank it. It was the middle of this past holiday season and I felt like I blew it after that and might as well keep drinking. We traveled to visit some family and friends over the holidays and I drank every night and I had a miserable vacation because of it. What I realized during those days that quite simply I won't have a happy life if I continue to drink. Quitting will be the toughest thing I've ever done but if it might put me on a path to a happier place I know I owe it to myself and my family to try. That's what I wrote. Oh, yeah, oh, thank you Jenna. so much. I'm so moved by what so, you said. I am oh. too. And I, I relate I mean, everything you said. Like, I, and I did all of those things. All of those things that you talked about. I did too, Jen. That's just the, the, the amazing thing about... And when you're doing them, it sort of becomes this weird new normal, but you have these flashes of lucidity, or I did, where I would think I'm... Yeah. That there's no way anybody else on earth is dropping bottles into a gas station trash can. No, so it's, it's, it's not possible. terrifying. It is terrifying. And the but power I do, of I do feel hopeful. Is, what's that? I do feel hopeful. I mean, just talking Good. about it, just plugging into an online community and finding out that other people have done these things and they understand. And I'm not a misfit. Not, <laughs> not, at, so not much. at all. No, not at all. Your story is very similar to my story, and everyone listening can relate to your story on some level. I think you've helped someone tonight. Yes, yeah, you certainly. How would you help me? <laughs> yes, exactly. Could you help me? And Good. Um, 
I, we really, really appreciate you taking the time, and um, I'm sure thank we'll be saying so this much. to everybody we welcome. talked to tonight. But, you know, thank you for opening up and telling your truth to, to help yourself and other people. It's really powerful. So I'm very grateful sure. that you shared. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks it very, very me. much. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks. Good night. Bye. All right. Our next guest is Aaron. Let's see Aaron. if we can get Aaron on the line. Are you there? Yes. Hi, Ellie. Hi. Hi, Hi Aaron. Aaron. Hey. Thank you so much, Aaron. Well, if you want to oh, do, no Aaron, do you want to do a brief introduction if you want to, or tell uh, your story um, or how you feel about the topic, whatever you'd like to talk about is great. Sure. My name's Aaron. I'm 42 years old. I'm a wife and a mom of six-year-old twins and a stepmom of grown daughters now. And I'm and yeah, I think that's about it for introductions for now. I didn't really prepare anything, so I might need some prompts. That's okay. I, that's, uh, right. that's okay. If, if I think back to my teenage years and uh, my twenties, I drank on the weekends like everybody else did. I we, binge mm -hmm. drinking, and as I as I went through my twenties, started to become. I worked in the financial industry before. I, I changed careers, so there's a lot of drinking in that industry, and it would, the party would definitely start on Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, sometimes Sunday. The other nights I didn't drink, but those nights were all binge drinking. And then my 30s was when I, I got married and uh, had stepdaughters, and my drinking totally changed. Before, it was always social out, usually out, sometimes at house parties or dinner parties, but usually out at a, a bar or a club or dinner. And then when I married my husband, I moved from a big city to a small town, and I was suddenly a parent, and my drinking changed to slowly over time to drinking wine every night. Got up to a bottle and then a bottle and a half. And then mm -hmm. occasionally two bottles, and then I would just feel terrible. The next day, hungover and full of shame. So I, I think I started to realize I had a problem in my late 30s, probably, that it was really a problem and that maybe I should do something about it. At the same time, my dad, alcoholism, was progressing to the sort of severe end stages, so I could see what was happening. And I started reading a lot about alcoholism, mostly, mostly because of him in the beginning. So I started to really learn about the disease mm -hmm. and about the progression. And I could apply, I started to apply what I was reading to myself and trying to place myself in the progression according mm -hmm. to the book I was reading. And then, I, and then I got online and I would do Google searches of women drinking and I would take the tests. There's all sorts of sites that have self-tests. And, mm -hmm. and I think I was, I was pretty honest with those tests and my scores made it pretty clear that I had a problem. So I started to, I started to dabble a bit in uh, going to, to recovery meetings. But I lived in the town I lived in, I didn't even have one. I'm in a, a different town now. We have a few. So I had to travel an hour to go mm -hmm. to one. And I still wasn't sure. I didn't really think I was an alcoholic. So I dabbled a bit, but just kept on drinking. And then finally... Last January, my, my dad had died. He died in May, about a year and a half ago. And um, it was a horrible thing to watch his decline into the end. And uh, mm -hmm. I really, really started looking at myself. And I decided to, to go to rehab. And I'm, I'm a researcher and I'm a doer. I research things to death and then I, I do something. And so I decided I was going to go and I went. I, I worked it all out. Luckily, I have a friend who, uh, a close friend who works in the industry, so I could get in. I could get in, and I didn't have to pay. Not because he's my friend, but because we have funded spots. Anyway, so I went for three weeks last January. 
and I could relate to some of the people there. It was a, a big a big mix. It was all women. I could relate to some of them. Some of them were had a similar story, but at at the time, at the beginning of the three weeks, it was mostly young girls, like really young women who were, you know, 19, 20, 21. Most of them were also doing drugs. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't relate to them very much, but slowly older women started coming in, people who were closer to my age or older, so I could relate more to them. But it was very much a 12-step-based program. It was good, and uh, I stayed sober for, completely sober for two months after. And then I started to have a glass or two of wine here and there, just occasionally, maybe once a month, twice a month. Uh, and then in June, June I started having a bit more. And then once I was done work for the summer, that was it. I was mm-hmm. back to drinking my my full bottle a day at least. Sometimes more because it was summertime, and sometimes there's a kind of cottage lifestyle where we'd start earlier, start at two, and start with gin and tonics and or spritzers. And so I went on like that all summer long, and then into September I toned it back down in September, back at work drank less, but it stopped working again. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would say that it worked again for me in the summer. I felt good. I was fine with my drinking. I was happy. I was having fun. And, but then it stopped working for me. It didn't have any positive benefit at all, and it didn't even taste good. It made me feel physically ill, and it didn't help me. It didn't help me get that relaxed feeling that I was looking for, that relief mm-hmm. that I was looking for. And so this was about in October. And then after I'm in Canada, so after our Thanksgiving, I decided to quit again. So I had my day one just after our Thanksgiving. I lasted, I think, 21 days. Mm-hmm. Then I drank for a few days. And I lasted two weeks. And then I drank for a few days. And then I lasted three weeks. And then I drank a bit over this Christmas. Probably, I think, for four, four or five nights in a row over Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then I just... That was enough. I feel like this time, this time I feel different. I feel like I understand. I feel like I've actually admitted that I'm an alcoholic now. Before I always had doubts, you know? And I always, yeah. I always grieved it. Like I would, I would think of the people going out for dinner in the restaurants and having their wine or going to the dinner party and I was angry. I wanted to still have that, to be able to do that, to experience oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Upper light. And, even even in rehab, in rehab we would go out for meetings four or five nights a week. We'd go out as a group. And we, within the city, we'd walk by restaurants all the time. I'd look in the windows and see the people drinking the wine and could not imagine not doing that anymore. Yeah. But now, now I think I can imagine not doing it. And I've actually, this past weekend, I've been to uh, two different uh, places where other people were drinking not excessively. I'm lucky, actually, that I don't have many friends who drink excessively. Can I just ask you, what makes you feel ready? Or is that too hard to answer? That might be kind of the hard question to answer. But is there something that happens specifically that makes you feel stronger this time? Or do you think it just something just clicked in your brain? Well, I, you... think, I think that I've learned from those relapse the relapse, slips, whatever you want to call them. I think that I've, I truly believe now that I'm an alcoholic and that the disease mm-hmm. is progressive because now I've mm-hmm. seen it, how quickly I can go back. Like even right. after weeks of not drinking, I, if I have a glass, I, if I open a bottle of wine, I drink the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Most people don't, like people don't do that. 
normal drinkers don't do that. So it's just it's compulsive. It is compulsive, so and I've noticed that. normal people don't think about that as a bottle of wine either. You know, they can put it away, and that's the end of it, whereas my brain makes me, for whatever reason, I obsess about that one bottle that's open. Yeah, and then hopefully yeah. there's another one behind it <laughs> for when that one's gone. But, yeah, so there's that, and then I think I... This is very hard to explain, but I think I actually under, understand what surrender means. I never understood it before. One way is to say that, that, that realization, that the powerlessness over alcohol, that does different things to you than it does to other people. And, you know, I had to do a whole lot of research to get to that point where I thought, mm-hmm. oh, that's what they're talking about oh, with progressivism. Oh, that's what they're, you know, I kept thinking if I just, okay, I'll just drink beer. I'll just drink on weekends. I, I really thought I could think my way out of it. And I think surrender is when you stop trying to think that you can think your way out of it. You just know in yeah. your heart that it's bigger mm-hmm. than you. That's at least what, I don't yeah. mean to put words in anyone's mouth, but I think that, no. you know, we, I fought really hard just to avoid that moment because of that was, call me crazy, call me anything. Just don't call me an alcoholic. I, I grieved it too, Erin. I relate to that. I also, Erin, yeah. I wanted to point out also, if you don't mind, that, you know, even as you talk about these things, you know, the drinking that was Thanksgiving and Christmas and things, that this entire time you have been talking with a community of women. You've been very open about where you are with your drinking and through the Boost Free Brigade and other people, you've been yeah. reaching out to a community. So it's not as though those things you describe you were doing in the dark and isolated by no. yourself. I think no, it's I really said, important yeah, to point um, out that you were talking to people the entire time. That you've always been honest yeah. about when you relapse, you've always just been very straightforward about it, which I think is important because at least it gave you some accountability. Well, I think yeah. it takes a lot of the power out of the shame, too. I mean, that's the whole point of the of the show is that, mm-hmm. you know, if you didn't have a community to go to to tell your truth and have us all go, all right, pick yourself up, lift yourself off, you know, let's try again. What didn't work? What did work? If you didn't have that, it's more than, I think, just being accountable for the fact that you mm-hmm. drank. It's help with what happened and why and how can we, you know, we'll still, we still love you. We understand. And if you don't have that community to sort of prop you up, there's no reason not to keep going. You know, so well, we're, no. we're certainly glad you are part of that community. And, and thank you so much for sharing your story here tonight. Thank you, Aaron. I, I know it takes a lot of courage. Thank and you. It certainly was helpful to me and I'm sure a lot of other people as well. So we appreciate it. Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by the Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by the Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. Others find the message of recovery we champion on the Bubble Hour. Plus, get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on Patreon. Patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available, as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast, Tiny Bubbles. Become a Bubble Hour patron today at patreon.com slash thebubblehour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope. 
Okay, Ellie, now we have Kate's story that she asked me to read for her because she's not able to join us tonight, and I hope she's listening because we very much appreciate her sharing. So I'm just going to read her story, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this. How did this happen? She asked herself. This is the question I'm constantly asking myself. When did my relationship with alcohol become so dangerous? At what point did I cross the line from social drinker to alcoholic? Unfortunately, I don't know the answer to this question. I wish I did so that I can go back in time and stop this from happening. I did not plan on becoming an alcoholic. I am 35 years old, happily married on most days, with two children, ages five and two. I work full time in a position I truly enjoy. I grew up in a loving, happy family. My parents struggled to make ends meet at times, but we never went without. All of my memories of childhood are positive, with the exception of the time my dad was cleaning the fish bowl and lost our one and only pet goldfish in the garbage disposal. I'm very grateful for my parents and family. I know I'm very lucky. I didn't discover alcohol until college. I went to a party school and took part in the binge drinking that plagues colleges, college campuses. I graduated, landed a job that paid just enough to cover my living expenses and moved out on my own. I frequented happy hours with fellow young, single co-workers. We drank Friday and Saturday nights until the wee hours of the morning, but that was the norm. While we drank to excess on the weekends, I didn't feel the compulsion to drink every night of the week as I eventually would. I met the man that I would eventually marry and stopped frequenting the bars on the weekends. We both enjoyed a beer or cocktail together, but it by no means defined our relationship. At this point, I classify my drinking habits as normal social drinking with the exception of the occasional night where it went too far. When I did drink too much, it was never at a party. When I, wait, I'm sorry. When I did drink too much, it was at a party with a group of friends or a celebratory event. I never entertained the thought of getting drunk at home alone. How could that be, son? I married this great guy three years later. The only thing that stands out about my drinking habits during this period of time and how they may have begun to become destructive is that any blowout argument we had had occurred when I was wasted. I remember one night in particular that we had, one fight in particular that we had in the car on the way home from a friend's party. My husband was driving because I drank way too much. We were in an area of the States that he was unfamiliar with, so he had asked me how to get home. I was so mad at him for a reason I can't now recall. I'm sure it was nonsense given my state at the time, but I refused to tell him. I thought he should figure it out on his own. I'm lucky he didn't leave me on the side of the road because I, I would have been tempted to leave him if the situation had been reversed. Two and a half years after we got married, I became pregnant with our first child. I was excited to start a family, but was resentful that I had to give up drinking while I was pregnant. I remember being angry with my husband because I had to make all the sacrifices. He was just along for the ride. Our daughter was born and she was beautiful. I finally understood what people were talking about when they said he loved this little person more than anything. While she was beautiful and I did love her so much, she would not stop crying. I was constantly pacing the floors trying to calm her down. I told myself I had to maintain my sanity somehow, and while I was on maternity leave, the happy hours began earlier and earlier. I went back to work and eventually transitioned, obsessed like kids, to being a working mom. I started to use my nightly beer wine cocktail as a way to cope with the chaos. Messy house, no money, thanks to daycare, balancing husband, baby, etc. 
Eventually, I was hiding beer bottles in my closet, so my husband didn't know how much I was actually drinking. I thought that if he really felt like I was drinking too much, he would find them. The closet is the first spot someone should look, right? Well, I knew at this point my drinking habits were abnormal. I didn't care. I felt I felt I earned the right to drink. It was my reward for all I had to do during the day. When my, when my daughter was two, we discussed trying to have another child. I agreed it was a good time to try, but remember feeling like I had to drink as much as I possibly could before I became pregnant, since I had to go for nine months. The day before, I found out I was pregnant with Father's Day. I drank a couple of Cosmos at my parents and a six-pack of Sam Summer Ale when I got home. Got home. Sam Summer Ale is my favorite, and it was only early June. I was pissed I was going to miss out on it the rest of the summer. And let's not forget about Oktoberfest in the fall, Hibernator in the winter, cocktails at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and during the Super Bowl. I told myself that anyone that would listen that I was absolutely done after this one. I did not want to have another baby because I hated the whole process of being pregnant, which for me equaled not being able to drink. I ended up having various random health issues during this pregnancy. While I can't attribute any of them directly to my pre-pregnancy alcohol consumption, I truly think that the amount that I was drinking before becoming pregnant began to have a negative impact physically, and my immune system was shot. Thankfully, despite all of the issues I had while pregnant, my son was beautiful and healthy. A month into my maternity leave, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Literally three weeks later, my mother-in-law had a reoccurrence of her breast cancer. I felt I needed to be there for not only my baby, my mom, my mother-in-law, and my husband, but also my siblings. I'm the oldest, and I am far more rational and analytical than my sisters. I am not an, I am not an alarmist. They tend to be super emotional and had my mother buried before we even knew the details about her cancer. I needed to stay calm for my mom and help educate my sisters that cancer is not necessarily a death sentence. The case with everything has the hour at my house started at times before noon, sometimes as soon as my husband left for work. I figured the earlier I started, the more time I'd have to get a bug and then sober up before my husband came home from work so that I could start again. I'd pretend I was having my first drink of the day with him at 5 o'clock. I eventually went back to work. <clears throat> we were all very lucky, and everyone's cancer was and still is in remission. Life is good, right? Well, I was so miserable. I was constantly on edge, crying all the time, and I'm not a crier. I was arguing with my husband constantly and acting like a miserable bitch to everyone. I couldn't stand myself. I ended up seeing my doctor and was put on 10 milligrams of an antidepressant a day. It really seemed to help. An added benefit initially was that I said a little less nauseous. I, I'm sorry, I felt a little nauseous when I took the pill and drank wine. So I thought, this is so awesome. I will be able to cut back to one glass of wine a day because anything more makes me feel sick and I'll be happier. That lasted all of a week. Even though I was no longer on edge, I still drank every night. At some point, the vodka bottles replaced, at some point, the Foscoe bottles replaced the beer bottle in the closet. While the hangovers were worse and my stomach was a mess, it provided more of a bang for the buck and was easier to hide. On July 15th, 2012, I was drunk and sitting in front of my computer, and all I could think about was that I have got to stop drinking or else I'm going to kill myself and or my children. I could handle myself but would never, never be able to deal with harming my children. <clears throat> I was desperate but felt I had no one to turn to. You can't just walk up to a friend and say, hey, I had vodka bottles in my closet. I need help. I was afraid to approach my husband. 
while he has said to me, you know, you drink a lot. He can't seem to grasp the concept of not being able to moderate. It is hard to explain to someone who is a normie how you can't stop after just two. The I need more now thoughts are consuming. How do you explain this feeling to someone who is content with just one beer? So in this hour of desperation, I emailed an old boyfriend. We had a pretty toxic relationship, and I couldn't actually believe that I had to resort to this. But he was the only person I knew who had experience with addiction. He worked at an inpatient hospital while we were dating, so I felt he might understand and had the tools to possibly help me. I told him I wanted to do this alone and wanted tips. No 12-step programs, no rehab, by myself. He responded and suggested I seek some sort of outside support, but gave me some advice. After a few additional emails checking in on how I was doing, I realized how wrong this was. What the hell was I doing? This was not a person I needed back in my life. If I allowed this to continue, it would end very badly. I halted all correspondence and was alone again. Throughout this time period, I had four consecutive days without a drink. In mid-November, I was averaging a bottle of wine every night during the week, a bottle and a half on weekends, along with the occasional beer or vodka cocktail. I was feeling desperate and out of control. I actually tried to convince my husband that we should have another child. I knew that while I hated being pregnant, it was one way to ensure that I would not drink for an extended period of time. I started Googling moms that drink, am I an alcoholic, etc. I read a few memoirs of women who were sober, such as Unwasted, Mommy Doesn't Drink Here Anymore, and Drinking a Love Story. <clears throat> I joined the BSC. I read the stories of women and men and how great life was without alcohol, but I continued to drink. I would literally, literally sit at my computer, read BSC posts, and I would drink. Despite the fact that I was still drinking, the BSC was a godsend. I finally felt that I was not alone. There were actually people out there who were like me, just like me, people who completely understood and would not judge me. On December 1st, I went out with a fifth friend. The plan was dinner and a show at a local theater. We both loved to drink. We had a nice dinner accompanied by a couple of cocktails. We stopped at a pub before the show because we had time to kill. We both had a few beers. We ended up leaving the show at intermission and went back to that bar. Long story short, <clears throat> there was no way I should have driven home. I was praying the entire drive that I didn't get pulled over. If I did, I had no choice but to hold out my wrist for the cuff. Someone was watching out for me and the others on, my, on the road that night, and thankfully I made it home. The next day I decided that I was out of control and had to stop. 12-T-12 is what I consider my first day one. <clears throat> there were moments when I wanted to drink, but once I got through them, I was okay. Even after just a few days, I could already see what people meant when they said life is better without alcohol. I felt better. I started to have more fun with my kids. I actually thought I looked healthier, but I threw 13 days away because I let the part of me that holds resentment and anger get the best of me. We were decorating our Christmas tree, and my husband had a beer, not six years, just one. I was mad that I can't drink like a normal person. I thought this is so not fair. Screw it. I'm having a beer. I did and regretted it almost immediately. It is so hard to start over. I didn't necessarily care about the 13 days. It was the fact that I had to take that big step again and say, this is it. I'm not drinking again. It is the day one that is so hard. I've had multiple day ones. I'm frustrated with myself and the fact that I keep giving in to the thought that somehow I'll learn to moderate. I know I'm only kidding myself, and I'll just prolong the inevitable. 
Over the past week, I've come to realize I cannot do this on my own. It kills me to admit that I can't control this disease and fix myself, but it is my reality and I have to accept it. I haven't decided what type of support I will seek. I've looked into a private therapist, but also recognize that so many are successful thanks to the support of a 12-step program. I've also considered that maybe I need to do both. I've also stopped counting days. If I think of how many days there are, there might possibly be in my lifetime, which are hopefully many, getting and sab- staying sober seems like such a daunting and impossible path. It is easier for me just to get through today. Thank you for listening, allowing me to participate, and for your support. I hope that the next time I have an opportunity to take part in the bubble hour, I'll have the courage to tell my own story. I also hope I'll be able to share my experiences as a sober mom, wife, and professional. Thank you, Lisa and Ellie, for being my voice tonight. And that's what Kate had to share. All right. Well, I just really want to thank all of our guests. I mean, these are women in, in pretty in really new sobriety who have been, you know, they're just out there swinging and talking to people, and they're not letting sort of darkness and isolation and shame of this disease get the best of them, which is why we thought they'd be such terrific guests on the show, because I find I get the most inspiration from the people who are new, personally, and because those early days are really hard, and giving up is a lot easier than, than sticking through it. But every time you get through a tough time or a tough emotion or call on the phone, and instead of having a drink, that's a, you know, a milestone, and that's and a line that you don't ever have to go back over again. So very grateful to all of you for sharing your stories. Thank you. I'm feeling incredibly inspired after listening to everyone. And Lisa, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? Basically, just I'm just overwhelmed with how brave and courageous these women were to come forward tonight and share their story and their truth and amazed by their bravery and their courage. I am too. Thank you for listening to the Bubble Hour, and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Ellie. Good night. Bye-bye. Have a good night. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power of weakness head on me.
excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Oh, yes, I'm When you said I'm old, I didn't Not proud that that was me and my face. I take back a little dignity. I'm not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from 